Hey, uh, hey, good morning, good morning. Uh, I hope and pray that you guys are doing awesome today and that uh, things are going well for you and your family and your kids and your grandkids and all the people of our life. I want to uh, welcome you this morning to the Word. Today, we're going to dig into God's Word today. Uh, we're talking, uh, we started this little series on our core values. And these are uh, our core values at Burlington Christian Church, but these kind of are core values for the church. And these are core values for every Christian's life. Uh, there's no difference in what should be core values in our life. We're talking about things like the Bible and teaching and prayer and belonging and the mission. So those are the five core values that we have that we believe are really important, that everything else kind of fits into these values. Uh, but the first and most important thing to, to, to lay the groundwork and the foundation is simply that we start with this understanding that Jesus is Lord and Savior. He is the Lord. He is over everything. All authority is His. He's Lord. He's Savior. He's Messiah. He is God. He is everything. And so these core values are the things that Jesus gave us as we uh, follow Him. And uh, last week we talked about the Bible. Core value number one is the Bible because everything we know about these other core values, prayer and teaching and these things, they all come from the Bible. And so the Bible has to be of our core value. Like it is the, the rock that we stand on, the Bible, the Word of God, the Scriptures. Like you take away the Scriptures and we're just left to try to figure it out and make it up. The Bible is the Word of God and it is our source of truth and our compass and everything that we believe comes from that word. So there is no question about the value and the eternal importance of the scriptures, of the word of God. But here's the thing. When it comes to the Bible, because people treat the Bible lots of different ways in this world, when it comes to the Bible, it's not like a good luck charm. It isn't like we carry our Bible so that things go well for us today. We put it in our car, on our dashboard. It's not a paperweight in our office so people see we have one. It's not a centerpiece on our coffee table so people think, oh, you have a Bible. Uh, or it's not something that we're going to hit people over the head with either. It's not a, a weapon in that way. It's not something we're going to like pound over people and get them to let God be God. All of the value of the Bible, all of its value, I mean, Jesus is the word of life, but all of the value for you and me as people, as human beings, is in the consumption of the word of God. It's in the consumption of it, not as a consumer of the world who consumes things, but a consumer of God's truth that we want to have it so deeply integrated into who we are that we consume the word of God. Uh, Jesus said in John 6, he said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Listen to those words. Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And he says, whoever believes in me will never be 
thirsty. See, those are terms of, of, of partaking, taking it within us. Jesus is the bread. Jesus is the living water. Uh, the prophet Jeremiah in the Old Testament said this, when your words came to me, he's talking to the Lord, I ate them with joy. They were the delight of my heart. I accepted them because I wanted to bear your name and be known as yours. Like the word of God coming into our life helps us to be and act and look more and more like the Lord in the way we behave, in the way we carry out our lives, and we come back into that image that we were created in, the image of God to think like God, to act like God, to reason like God, to, 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 to uh, make decisions in our life like God. We become more and more like him. Jeremiah says, your word came and I ate them. I consumed them. The, word, the words of Jesus, the words of Jesus in the scriptures on a whole, they are a feast for our soul, for our soul. We need them in our life for our soul. They're soul food. We, we must partake of them and live or neglect them and die. That's it. That's the only two options in this world there are. We either are consumers of God and his word and his truth, and we're going to live like him on the path that leads to life, or we're going to consume the world and walk on a path that leads to death. Those are the only two paths there are. So for this reason, that the scriptures are so important to us, for this reason, today's core value is the teachings of Jesus. The teachings of Jesus and the entire word of God that God has given to us. These teachings of God that we have to live by. This is our critical core value. It's not enough just to own a Bible or have a Bible. We must dig into the Bible and read it, consume it, and let it have its impact on us. Everything that was revealed in the scriptures are the teachings of God, the teachings of Jesus. All that God has delivered to the saints is what we need in our life. We need to consume his truth. Every aspect of his teachings are critical for a healthy disciple of Jesus. And that is what Jesus called us to, a disciple, to be disciples or followers or students of him. To do, to know what he says, and then to go do what he says. See, disciples are more like the Sea of Galilee than they are the Dead Sea. Think about those two seas. Jesus said that he is living water. Jesus is living water. Living water flows. It's active. It's alive. It comes from somewhere and it's going somewhere. And it impacts everything and everyone on its way. It's a flowing river. You receive the good news in your life and you must share the good news from your life. I heard a quote this uh, just today, in fact, uh, from the FCA meeting uh, this morning, John Maxwell was quoted, and he said this about leadership and discipleship. He says, you know, you grow, and you show. 
That's it. You, you come to know, you begin to grow, and then you must show or go and, and show and, and share what you have become or what you have learned as a disciple with everyone else around you. It should impact the people around you. But it starts, it starts with your personal consumption. Your personal consumption. Right? That's where it starts. Coming together as a church family, right? Growing together with other believers. That's where it begins. It begins in your own personal time with God. It begins when you begin to, sh to, to, to share together with other believers and you gather together during the week and you have Bible study and you have prayer meetings and we sharpen each other and we grow together and we're being built up as the body of Christ, right? We individually must partake in the word. We must have the word constantly coming into us. And then good disciples go and share his word. We, we don't just take it and keep it to ourselves, but we go and we share. We grow with the church and we go share the word of God with other people. We share the truths of God with our family and with our friends, with people in real life ways. We meet with people for coffee or whatever, and we talk about the word of God and we share it with each other. His teachings are the key part of discipleship. The teachings of Jesus is what makes a disciple a disciple. A good disciple soaks in the word of God. A good disciple lets the truth dwell in them richly. But the only way to get the truth in is by reading the word of God, spending time in the teachings of Jesus. So let me share with you just two key thoughts today concerning the teachings of Jesus, okay? Just two thoughts. Number one, real simple, Jesus said, come and be taught and go and teach. It's a real simple truth for today about the teachings of Jesus. It, it begins, it begins as a true disciple, it begins right here with me. There must be like the word of God flowing into my life. And I have to be the one that makes that happen. I have to engage in the word of God. I have to put myself in, in places where I'm listening to the word of God, whether it's on sermons, on uh, YouTube, or on TV, or live with uh, the church together, or in Bible study, or wherever it is, or myself just reading the word of God, or digging into the word of God, and studying out a passage. I must, I must be learning. I must be growing. The, the river must be coming in and I have to open my heart and my doors to the word of truth coming in. There has to be this constant flow of God coming into my heart, coming into my mind, changing my life, and then going out and touching others. There has to be the flow of the river coming in. One of the most important things that Jesus said when it, when it, when it came just before he left this earth, he was getting ready to leave. He had uh, died. He had risen from the dead. He was with his disciples and he shares with them <clears throat> this truth in Matthew chapter 28. And if you have your Bibles, you're going to want to turn there. Matthew 28. Here's what it says. So Jesus is together with the disciples. It's some of the last words that, that Matthew is going to record. It's the end of the Gospels. He's about to be gone, ascend into heaven, and leave 
for good and send his Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. And Jesus says some of the most important things that he says to his disciples. Just think about that. When, if you're on your dying bed, the thing you're going to say to your family is going to be some of the most important things that you want to say to them. You're going to choose your words wisely and you're going to say things that matter and that are important and critical. And so this is what Jesus teaches them. He says in Matthew 28, I'm not going to put it on the screen, so you're going to have to have your Bibles, Matthew 28. He says this, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mount where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw Jesus, they worshipped Jesus, but some doubted. Here we are at the very end of his life, his ministry, all that he's done, and some people are skeptical about what is going on. Jesus came to them, and this is what he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, baptizing them, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Some of his final words that Jesus would say to his disciples, and Jesus says, all authority, all of it, every ounce of authority above in the heavens and below on the earth, every bit of it is his. He is Lord, he is Savior, he is master of the universe and all of creation. And, and, and what, what this means to us is simply this, what Jesus says goes. What he says is gospel. It is truth, it is it. This is our marching orders, this is our, our life compass, this is our directives in life, this is how every human being is to live according to the creator of the universe. All of it belongs to him, all authority. Here's a little side note, though. Did you know this? Did you realize this, that almost every Old Testament book of the Bible is quoted in the New Testament? So somewhere in the, with the apostles and with the life of Jesus, they quote almost every Old Testament book that we have. Jesus, Jesus quotes from 24 of the Old Testament books. The, the prophet Isaiah said, the prophet Jeremiah said, Zechariah said, the psalmist said, David said, Moses said. They, the whole New Testament, the life of Christ, the Gospels, all that God was doing through Jesus in the New Testament, they all quote from Old Testament scriptures. This is called confirmation. This, this is how we, we can have confidence that the Old Testament is good because the New Testament writers confirm it by quoting from it and giving it its, the, 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 its thumbs up, their stamp of approval. The one who has all authority over everything in heaven and on earth, who gave all kinds of evidence of his own lordship and, and conquered not just over sickness and disease and power over the elements, but he himself said he would die and that he would rise again. Jesus gave us all kinds of evidence of his lordship 
Jesus puts his stamp of approval on all of the Old Testament, on all of Scripture. And so when Jesus says all, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him, he is now saying all of Scripture is the word of God. It is good, it is accurate, and it is true. And you can live by it, you can trust it. And Jesus calls then every disciple, every follower of his, everyone who says, I want Jesus to be Lord and Savior of my life. He calls us to be faithful disciples of his. He almost dares us to come follow him. Come follow me. Come on. Let's see if you're serious. And he gives his disciples their marching orders, right? That's the where. He gives them to go. He tells them, go into all the world, right? That's where they're supposed to go. That's the where. Where should we go? You know, you hear people say, I don't know what I should do. What does God want me to do? Where should I go? Where should I start? Where should I? Well, it's very simple. The umbrella is huge. Go into all the world. Every country, every tribe, every nation, every tongue. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, our neighbors, right outside our front doors and to the ends of the earth. The mission field is huge. Start where you are and move out from there. That's what Jesus says to his disciples. And what do disciples do? What should you be doing as a disciple as you go? Here's what you do. You live intentional. You live with purpose and with focus. Disciples don't go on a mission. True disciples live the mission. It is who you are. Every breath, every act, every decision, you are on mission. Your life is the mission of Jesus. You have made a decision that his priorities are now yours. His his values are yours. His ways are how we're going to live. How he thinks, his heart, his mind is now my heart and my mind. I'm going to put it in me and I'm going to let it live through me. That's what true discipleship is all about. And what do they do? What do disciples do on their way? They make more disciples. That's what they do. They make more disciples. They grow the kingdom of God. True disciples grow the church. They go and they baptize. They baptize their friends and their family into the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit because they know God loves me. And now I want to love people and I want people to know how much God loves them. And I want them to have a relationship with God like I do. That's what they do. They go and they baptize people into Jesus so that their sins will be forgiven. And they'll have eternal life. And then they teach them. They teach them to obey everything that Jesus said. This is what we do as a disciple. This is how disciples live. Teaching them, teaching them to obey everything. Helping others become faithful disciples of Jesus. Who will then go and make even more disciples of Jesus. More like a flowing river than the Dead Sea. And unfortunately in the church, we have a lot of Dead Seas and very few flowing rivers. 
And wherever we are in that, when we look, take a look at our own heart, our own life, what am I doing with my time, my money, my efforts? And we, we have to like self-evaluate our life. If, if we find that we, when it comes to the kingdom of God and the things of God, if we find that we are more like a dead sea than we are the Sea of Galilee or a flowing river, then it is time in our life to make a change. Not just for our own salvation and our own self, but for the people all around us that God has put around us so that he can flow through me to them. And if I'm a dead sea, then he might be flowing to me, but I'm not sharing that. I'm not moving out with that. I'm not, I'm not letting that flow on through. And I need to let it flow on through. Jesus said, come and be taught and then go and teach. See, the teachings of Jesus are for me. They're for me to, to take in, but they're not for me to keep. They're me, for me then to go out and be more like Jesus in my words, in my behavior, in my example, and share the truth of God with the world around me. Secondly, the second thing is real simple. Jesus says, eat the true manna. Eat the true manna. See, when it comes to the teachings of Jesus, Jesus says, you, you must eat these words, these teachings. Communion, when we come around the Lord's table and we take communion, the bread and the juice, we are partaking of the true manna. The, 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 the bread, the emblems, the bread and the juice are just bread and juice, but they are reminding us that we're partaking of the body and the blood of Christ. We are partaking of Jesus into our body. And that's just symbolic for Jesus himself to, to be in our life and for his teachings to be in our life. And so if we just take communion, but we're not putting Jesus in or we're not putting his truth in, then we're just playing games. Don't take communion if you're not going to truly be honest and want Jesus to fill you and, and you're going you're gonna to be disciplined enough to read his word and take his word in because that's what we're saying to God when we partake of communion. We're saying we're serious about our relationship with you, Lord, and we want you to fill us and use us for your glory. It isn't just enough to just take communion and go about your day. It's serious business. That's why Paul says, and anyone who, who takes of this the emblems without like evaluating yourself, sins. So Jesus says, look, eat the true manna. Eat the true manna, the real manna. Remember when God provided the manna in the wilderness for Moses? Remember that? They were wandering in the wilderness and God let it rain down manna from heaven and they were allowed to like gather as much as they needed for the day, not to take more than they needed, but just take what they needed enough for the day. And, and, the, and the manna was like this bread of heaven. It was like this toasted wafers. Not sure how big they were. The Bible describes them a little, but they were, they were like toasted wafers made of honey. And so you know they tasted pretty good. And the word manna, this is crazy, the word manna means, do you know what the word manna means? It means, what is it? Like, what is it? Like, what, what is that? What, what, what is God sending down here? What is it? That's what it means. 
And, and, and here's what's funny. Somebody should name their kid that, right? Name your kid Manna. You know, could you imagine that conversation? So you named your kid Manna? What does Manna mean? Well, it means, what is it? Came out and wasn't sure what he was. <laughs> what is it? Manna. The manna and the quail that God gave to his disciples or to the Israelites in the wilderness as they, as they wandered through the wilderness allowed them to exist because they were in a, a hot desert place. And if God didn't provide their food for them in the wilderness, they would have perished. And so God provides this manna and the quail to give them substance so that they could survive the conditions of the desert. The manna of Moses, though, the manna in that day was baby food compared to the manna, the true manna of God. In John chapter 6, I want to look at this passage of scripture in John 6. If you have your Bibles, we're going to go there. John 6. I want to dig in with you a little bit. It begins, John 6 begins on the far side of the Sea of Galilee. I hope you got your Bibles. John 6, turn, it, turn over to John 6. You're going to want that, the word. Read it. Dig into it. Underline it. Circle it. Write in the margins. Take notes. This is God's word to you and to me. Nothing sacred about the pages or the ink or the, the book itself. This is about Jesus. He, Jesus, is what makes this important. So John 6, it begins on the far side of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus goes away. He goes away with the disciples. Remember, they want to just have a little retreat and spend some time together. And all these people follow. And so Jesus feeds 5,000 people. Just men. Just men. 5,000 men. So there's plus women, plus children. They weren't in the 5,000 count. That's a lot of people. 5,000 plus could be 10,000 people out there on the side of the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus feeds them all, remember, with this kid's lunch. Some loaves and some fish. And then he sends them all away, the crowd away, and he tells the disciples to get into a boat, and they begin to sail back toward Capernaum. And Jesus stays, and he's praying in the hills by himself. And in the middle of the night, he comes to them walking on the water in the middle of a storm. Remember that? He comes walking on the middle. So, so, so far, it's like, what? He feeds 5,000. This is incredible. Now he's walking on water. This is insane. And they get to Capernaum. And what happens there on the far side of the sea, or on, on the top of the sea, is that, uh, is that the crowd that went to meet Jesus and were fed by the 5,000, they now find Jesus again in Capernaum. And so they come around Jesus in John chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 25. They come to where Jesus is, and look what it says. When they found Jesus on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus says, look what he says. He says, I tell you the truth. You're looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate of the loaves and you had your fill. Almost as if they're coming to him again for another meal. Like, Jesus, can you feed us now breakfast? I mean, dinner was awesome. Can we get breakfast? And Jesus says, do not work for the food that spoils, 
but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, on him, God the Father, has placed his seal of approval. And they asked him, what must we do to do the works that God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Let your first work for God be to believe in the one that he sent, to believe in Jesus, to trust Jesus with everything in you. Start there. Begin with that. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God Christ said uh, to believe in the one he sent? Verse 30. So they asked him, here we go. These are the people that just saw a miracle on the other side. They may not have seen them walking on the water, but they probably have heard now that this happened just a little while ago. And so they asked him, what miraculous sign will you give that we may believe in you? What will you do, Jesus? Come on, wow us. And, and they say, our forefathers, our forefathers, they ate manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Like God did that for Moses. What, what will God do for you, Jesus? And Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven, the true manna. You, uh, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. The bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. So physical. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none, and all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son, believes in him, shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. At this the Jews began to grumble." about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, it's not, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Jesus says, stop grumbling among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. I will raise him up at the last days. It is, it is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. The prophet said that, Old Testament. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from, me, from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. And I tell you the truth, he who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the man in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If a man eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give to the life for the life of the world. And the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? 
And so Jesus is now going to share with them something that is so hard for them to understand and so deep for them to understand. He's beginning to touch the surface of what he's getting at when he says, I am the bread that has come down from heaven, but now he's going to take it to another level and they're going to just totally be not only blinded by it, but their hearts are going to be hardened by it. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. I tell you the truth. This is an important statement. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last days. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me, this is it, feeds on me, will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Our forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. Wow. Jesus has got some really, really hard things that he's saying to them. He gives them this really, really hard teaching. This is, this is probably one of the hardest teachings Jesus shares with us as people. This, this idea of him being the bread of life and partaking of him, his body. See, it's the teaching. It's, this is a teaching about his teaching. He's saying to them, he's teaching them that they, they, they must partake of and eat his teachings. He's teaching them about his teachings. That his word is critical for the life of our soul. That, that the soul of who we are, the eternal part of us that is not physical, doesn't need pizza or hamburgers or water or Gatorade. It doesn't feast on that. It only feasts on the truth of God's word. And if we feed our soul, our soul will be healthy and grow. And if we don't feed our soul, the eternal part of us that God has put in us, if we don't give it food from heaven, it will die. That's what he's saying. If you believe and feast on me, you'll live because of the words that Jesus gives us. It's food. And if you don't, you will die. Jesus says, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. Jesus is not talking about cannibalism. He's not talking cannibalism about eating his, his physical flesh, taking a bite out of his arm. He is talking about his spiritual body and the spiritual nourishment that we draw from his truth and from him as, a, as, a, as the savior of the word, as the living word of God, as living water, as the bread of life. He's talking about this spiritual nourishment. The real manna, the real manna is spiritual food, also given from God, also that came down from heaven, available to eat and give life to your soul. It's the true, true soul food. 
Jesus is the true soul food. He is the living word of God. He is manna for our soul. He is the only manna for our soul. But they are not getting it. They're not getting it. And as a result of this hard teaching, and it is a hard teaching. If we were living in their day, we'd probably look at it as pretty hard as well. Jesus says a lot of hard things through his ministry. Some of his teachings are very hard. He says to them at one point, take up your cross and follow me. That's a hard teaching. He says to them, deny yourself. That's a hard teaching. He says to them, you must put me in front of your own mother and your own father and your own family. I must come first. That's a hard teaching that Jesus says. And as a result of Jesus's hard teachings, many walk away. They simply walk away. They can't handle the truth and they don't want to. They don't want to handle the truth. They don't want to face the truth. Remember we talked about uh, in a week, a week or two ago, or in John 12, we talked about the passage at the end uh, that talks about uh, he, God has blinded their eyes and God has hardened their hearts like he did with Pharaoh. Talked about that. This, this is what's happening. This is what's happening. There's the truth and they don't want to face the truth. And so they turn away from the truth. They turn away from the truth of God. And in verse 60, even some of the disciples walk away. And so in verse 61, Jesus clarifies what he's talking about. It says, aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus says to them, does this offend you? Well, that's a popular word in our day, isn't it? Everybody's offended by something, it seems. Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before. What if you see Jesus go up into the clouds, back into heaven? What if you see that happen? What are you gonna think then? Verse 63, here it is. The spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words that I have spoken to you, they are full of spirit and life. See, Jesus is speaking in terms that they are struggling to understand, but he is not speaking literal words. He is speaking spiritual words. He's speaking spirit language. In almost every encounter we read in the scriptures where Jesus encounters somebody, Jesus is trying to share with them eternal spiritual truths, but all they can see and think is physical things like the woman at the well, remember her? Like the feeding of the 5,000 and they came back for more bread, they didn't get it. Like Nicodemus when Jesus was talking about being born again and he said, can you go back into your mother's womb? And, and like the religious leaders when Jesus said, destroy this temple and in three days I'll rebuild it. See, Jesus is always speaking like in, in spirit terms, in kingdom terms. And people are stuck on physical uh, 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 images and physical things. They don't see the truth. But you and I today, see, today we understand this very clearly. We, we get what Jesus is saying. Now, we have a slight advantage over them 
right? Don't we? Like they were living in the moment, and so it would be easy to kind of not get it. But you and I, we're without excuse. We have all this information. We have all of the scriptures, and we get what Jesus is saying. We know exactly what he is saying. We understand his teaching on this. And we know without any doubt that Jesus is the true manna. He's the manna. He's the manna that came down from heaven. What God did for Moses and the Israelites in the wilderness was simply a shadow. We now know this. It was just a shadow of the real manna that was to come. Jesus, who is the real manna that has come from heaven. We now understand this. Manna went from what is it to he is the savior of the world, the bread of life. See, when it comes to the teachings of Jesus, this very critical core value that we have got to put into our life, two things are true. Jesus said, come Come and be taught and then go and teach. And secondly, Jesus wants us to consume him, the true manna, the true bread of the bread of life, the true living water. Daily, daily partaking of the one who came down from heaven and everything that Jesus said, because he is Lord and he is Savior. And he is food for our soul. He is spiritual nourishment for our soul. And without him in our lives, we will dry up and we will die. And we will eternally be separated from him forever. Is he your Lord? Is he Lord of your life? He is Lord of the universe. He is Savior of the world. But he isn't Lord of your life unless you accept Jesus as Lord of your life and you obey him in the truths and the teachings that he has given us and become a true disciple of his. If you've never accepted Christ as Lord, I invite you, I encourage you, text me. I would love to talk with you. We can Zoom, we can talk online, we can figure out a way to make it happen. But I would love to talk to you about how you give your life to Christ and what that means. You guys, have an amazing day. These core values are so important. The Bible and now the teachings of Jesus, in them we have eternal life. God bless you guys. Have an amazing week. We'll see you next time.